Well, I want to minister to you this morning on uh, what we did back in June, started. This will be number two on what to do on your worst day. What to do on your worst day. And I subtitled it, To Keep That Day Your Worst Day. In other words, we're not having a worst day. We've already had the worst day in our life. It's already come and gone, and we're not going to exceed that. There's a saying out there in the world that says, time heals all wounds, which talks about memory, talking about if you go long enough, you finally, uh, you're not mad anymore because uh, the, the sting is gone. But I'm telling you, there's people with marvelous memories, marvelous memories. They can't remember their wife's birthday, but they got this thing from 1844. They got it in living color and tone inflections and body language. So time does not heal all wounds. Identifying with truth heals all wounds. And there is no, there's nothing else. You can't just, actually, as Christians, we are not due an apology when someone wrongs us. We want one, and it does make us feel better, but you and I do not deserve a, an apology any more than we could give the Lord Jesus an apology every time we offended the kingdom. Aren't you glad we don't have to keep up with it? Why, we don't even know what stuff is when we do it, that, that, that it was sin. But So we identify with truth. We identify, I've been forgiven of much, I forgive much. Hallelujah. So, but these people that time heals all wounds, when you ask them what's your worst day, uh, they tend to remember the most recent. They may have had a real jolt back in 2012, but they've had a real hard jolt in 16 or 18, and they remember it because it's fresher. It's on them, and they see that person still. They hear about them, and they're, they're, they're not happy about it. And so with their worst day is not like a day, it's a chapter in their life, and it's ongoing. And you, you go, well, I'm born again. That doesn't affect me. Sure it does. If you've got a soul, a mind, will, and emotions, we're all affected by people. I don't like to get my feelings hurt, but sometimes my feelings get hurt because I want people to do right. Do right. <laughs> That's my whole thing is do right. I'm trying to do right. You stay in your lane. Do not cut in front of me. I'll come down there with something and... Beat your steering wheel off. <laughs> I'm trying. But not dealing with, with your worst day. Listen, listen. It puts your life on life support. It gives life to your worst day. Even though the sun went down after that worst day. And it's over. It's a history. It's on the calendar. But it's on life support. And you are pumping it air. You are pumping it blood. You are pumping it life with your mouth, your words, and that worst day is every day until you get a new, worser day, and then it replaces that. Us, as Christians, we do not do well with gossip. We don't do well with not rehearsing our worst day. I certainly have not mastered that, and I'm working on it. The more people crank on you, the more worst days you think you're having, and so you're tempted to talk about them. Turn with me to the book of John, if you would, chapter 8. We're talking about what to do on your worst day. And you need to know. And I'm going to talk about it probably again, not because there's new information, but I just want to pound it. Because your worst day has got to be a, a, uh, 
a sea of forgetfulness, sea of forgetfulness uh, event in your life where I, here's what Catherine Kuhlman always said. Y'all remember, she said uh, when someone would say, they are talk, saying this about you. And she would, she was such a sweetheart. She said, let's pretend that that didn't happen. And she would not take the offense. So I'm trying to pretend that that didn't happen a bunch. How about you? Chapter 8, Jesus went into the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again unto the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto the master, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. <laughs> Who said it wasn't X-rated back then? Now Moses in the law commanded us that we should, that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? So here's, here's the, a woman having a bad day. We won't go on, but you know the end of the story. Jesus changed her bad days, and he's still doing it. Yay. But she was having a bad day. Let's go to Mark chapter 5. Go west and go to Mark chapter 5. Not everybody got relief. Not everybody was thrown down in front of the Lord Jesus. They were thrown down in front of some law keeper that said, that's right, that's what the law says, and that's what we're going to do. Chapter 5, look in verse 21 with me, please. And when Jesus was passed over again by ship into the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, besought him greatly. He was serious, saying, my little daughter, my little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her that she may be healed and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. Interruption, verse 25. And a certain moan, which had an issue of blood twelve years, and suffered many things of many physicians, and spent all she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. Now here's two people, two ladies that are having bad days. Now, excuse me, Jairus and this, this woman. Slip over to verse 35. And while he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain, which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? Now, you hadn't had a day that's worse than that. You know, I don't care what you come up with. It was his little daughter. And he had gone to the only answer that he knew, and it was too late, it seemed. Now, you read the story, and of course it wasn't too late. The Lord Jesus offended all of them by saying, She's not dead. She's asleep. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Have a bad day. I'm, we're wanting to put all our bad days in perspective here. That what we say when we see somebody like this man in Africa we're telling you about, we always just look up and say, we don't have any problems. Y'all ever looked up when you ran into somebody that really was handicapped or challenged in some way and you realized you looked at yourself and said, you know, we don't have any problems. It puts your complaining and your griping and your 
um, you know, all that stuff, it puts it in perspective. It's like there was food in the refrigerator and I was able to get up and get it and had a place to cook it and then I sat down with a fork of my own and I ate it. So everything else, you're, you know, we're having a great day. Ch chapter 11, 2 Corinthians. Let's look in verse 23. Paul is speaking. Let's go to 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. And here it comes. In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure. In other words, there was just so many allowed and they whipped on him a little longer than what was allowed. In prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. 39. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice. This, this boy, he's, he's, he's regular, isn't he? Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, thrice I suffered shipwreck. A day, a night in the day, I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. In weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Beside these things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. So Paul said, I've, I've had a lot of bad days. Pick your favorite and that would be my worst, but said they all run together for me. He wasn't that old of a man, so, and he didn't start when he was a child. You know, he got uh, waylaid at Damascus, and so this just seems like it's pretty regular. This isn't all of them, but it's a bunch of them. So we got to ask the question here of Paul, here of the uh, Jairus, there of the woman with the issue of blood, there where the, uh, uh, the daughter was at the point of death. We got to say, how do we handle, how do we react? To a bad situation because I know you want to say I just walk in love I shake it off and just say we'll live above that and maybe you do most of the time but it's not what you do most of the time it's what you do some of the time we are only better as good as what we do at our least moment you know the weakest link in a chain is the, uh, the strong a chain is only as strong as the weakest link well that's the way we are we intend to do right every time and we do a lot of the time. We're composed. We're straightforward. We're compassionate. We react right. We turn the other cheek. We give our cloak. But sometimes we're just mad as thunder and we go whooping somebody. We just, we want them to hurt like we hurt because this isn't the first time they stood against us. And we just, like that movie, we're as mad as we can be and we're not taking it anymore. I'm all alone, Lord. Here am I, the only one. I'm the only real human in here, I guess. 
Uh, I've got a lifetime. I'm 67, and I've, I've had many a time that if I'd been a little bigger, I'd have whooped somebody. I wasn't compassionate. I just was little. <laughs> yeah, by the grace of God. Turn with me to James chapter 1, if you would. How do you recover? How do you respond when trouble comes? I don't know. Maybe you'll never need this information. Maybe you go, well, I needed that last year, but I'm good now. No, you're not. You're not good. You're not good in saying I'll never be, have a, a, a bad day. Temptation is in this world. But James said in chapter 1, I'm going to read it in the King James and then the Amplified. He says, my brethren, count it uh, all joy when ye fall. The word fall there is not really accurate. It means when you're surrounded into divers, which means many, temptations. And the word temptations there is proving. So let's read it in the Amplified. It's just a lot clearer, it seems to be. Uh, Consider it wholly joyful, my brethren, whenever you are enveloped in or encounter trials of any sort or fall into various temptations. I think you pretty much covered it in the Amplified. If you're not having a good day, you're having one of those days. Amen. He said, count it all joy. Count it all joy. Not because of the trial, but count it all joy despite the trial, in the trial. He said, count it all joy. And then he goes on there, uh, knowing this, that the trying of your faith does these things, and it'll be good for you. But we have emotions. We're all emotions, uh, creatures. God is even emotional. He, he has wrath in, inside of him. He has come. God's emotional. We're made after him. But he, he does a real good job with his emotions, and, and I'm working on mine. How about you? I said, I'm working on me. The Lord's not working on me. I'm working on me. He's already worked on me. He, I got born again. He worked on me, and now it's up to me to renew my mind, to change my mind to match what he did for me. God, God's working on me is not valid. He, he, he gets better results than what we get. If he's working on you, you'd be fixed. Well, we are fixed in that sense. Turn with me to, well, let me just read you Nehemiah 8.10. I'll just read that to you. Yeah. For the joy of the Lord is my strength. Say it with me. For the joy of the Lord is my strength. So how do you and I respond when trouble, when uh, tribulation, when bad things come, temptation, trials, whatever it is, we have to put on strength. And James said here, count it all joy because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, if you can't go directly to joy, you're going to go through it. It's, it's called suffer. You, you may find someone that did you wrong that's littler than you, and you can whoop up on them, but it won't turn out well for you. They got a big brother, or they know the police chief, or whatever. It won't work out for you. The devil's still involved. So the joy of the Lord is my strength. Why do I need to be strengthened in trouble? Because the devil is full time. You've been set up. You've been ambushed. You, you, you're in his crosshairs. Trouble, the Bible says in, in, in John 16, 33, be of, uh, he says, in the world you'll have tribulation. So trouble's coming. Well, no, I'm a Christian. I live above it. You should, but it doesn't mean it didn't come. You, have, you still have to live above something because it came. And every day, he's coming every day. Now, we pay no attention to certain things. 
used to that you, you know, uh, you'd be real nervous with gnats and flies, and then you get where, ah, that doesn't bother me. They still bother me, but maybe not you. Well, it's the same thing with the devil. When people say naughty things to us and take us, take us to task and judge us and, and uh, give their opinion where it was unsolicited, unneeded, unwanted, we have to count it all joy and just say, ah, paying no attention to that, like Catherine Kuhlman. Let's just pretend they didn't say that. But the curse is working in the world full time. We, the, the curse of the broken law, Galatians 3.13, is working full time. And we're all, we all fell, fall under it in the sense of it's in the atmosphere, it's in the environment, it's in the world. Now, we're in the world, but we're not of this world. So we can live above it, but if we don't live above it, listen, if you don't whip your umbrella out in the rainstorm, you're going to be as wet as the next guy that had no umbrella. So we have to live under the canopy of, uh, of the shadow of, come under the shadow of the wing of the Almighty. Otherwise, we're in the curse just like they are, and we'll suffer. We may can get out of it, but we certainly fail because of it. So uh, the devil, he's tempting believers. I told you this last time to prove everything that you believe. I believe in healing. I will. The devil says, let's see. Let's see how much you believe in healing. Let's see about your prosperity message. I've got this. I give every week and I'm joyful and I'm happy. Well, the devil says, words are cheap. Let's see. Let me smite your finances and see if you don't squeal. Where's God? I'll tell you this, and I like to say this. This is my whole life. It should be yours. To tell people that God has never flinched, he's never flittered. He is doing everything that we allow him to do to push us into a better place. Why isn't he doing a better job? Because we've got him shut down. Whatever we bind on earth is bound in the heavens. If we don't bind it, it's got a, it's got, you're the target for that thing. Whatever we loose on earth, if you got your mouth shut, you're just getting whatever everybody else has. If you're not laying hold of prosperity, of, of funding, of finances, if you're not laying hold of healing and peace, and uh, uh, then you're under it. You're either above it or you're in it. There's no exemption that says, I, I just, it doesn't come to me. So God is never flinched. He's never flittered. He's never uh, been slacking his promises. That's what it is. So I'll tell you, you got a testimony? I got testimonies. Y'all got testimonies of the goodness of God? Let me just tell you, it wasn't his best. Your testimony is not his best, and it wasn't his last. There's better coming. When will it come? When you need it. When the devil says, I'm going to whoop on you, and I'm going to take hold of you, you go, grace, where sin doth abound, grace doth much more abound. I got this, because God's not giving me his best, and certainly not his last. Now, I've had some marvelous miracles in my life. I've seen some amazing financial things, and I've shared a bunch of them to you here in River Church about how the Lord just moved in on us and did some never heard of before things. I mean, you hear about them, but you don't know who it was and if it was true. But it's true here. It's happened. God has moved in on us in such a way that uh, we really wouldn't be here if he hadn't. But he did. And you go, well, we used our get out of jail free card. We just get one per lifetime and we, we burn that one. No, that was just a warm up. That was just a demonstrator. That's what uh, Pastor Buzzy used to say. That was God giving out samples. 
Because <laughs> he wanted you to, to buy in to the real deal. So uh, we've not seen his best. Listen to this in Isaiah 54. Listen to this. I want you to read. Listen, you've, you've known it. It's verse 15 and 17. Listen to this. Behold, they shall surely gather together, but not by me. Whosoever shall gather together against thee, what happens? Shall fall for thy sake. That's where the woohoo goes. Hallelujah. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. Notice it's formed and it's formed against you. So we're in this world and the curse is in this world and the devil's in this world. And so the weapon is formed. But they've got the, they got every arrow in their quiver pointed uh, in the quiver, but they never get it loaded up into the, the bow. So it's formed, but it doesn't prosper. Listen, listen, I got to go on. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment, thou shalt condemn. I got a part. You got a part? Yeah, we got a part. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Now, that's where you got to live. You got to live in, in Goshen. You got to live in the days of heaven on earth. You got to live above this. And yeah, the devil comes. In James 1, where he says, count it all joy when divers trials and temptations come. He means there's a way out, but there is trouble coming. You go, well, I've been better than that. Listen, it's not based on your goodness. It's not going to heaven. I saw that billboard the other day that, that I wanted, that church sign that just says, if you, if you don't live right, you're not going to leave right. That's just not true. It's not true to say, if I live right, I'm, I'll leave right. That's, that's what it was. That is works. That is absolutely God saying, Atta boy, come on up. And you don't get out of boys if you don't have Jesus. So living has nothing to do with it. So forget that. Now live right. Live right because the wages of sin is death. It's going to cost you to sin. Live right, but not, not in the sense of it'll help me go to heaven. It will not. Now we know that there's rewards based on what you do. So living right has rewards, but it's not about going to heaven. Turn with me to 1 Samuel. I told you all it's on page 289 if you have a Bible like mine. And I'm turning to page 289 because I've stumbled around in the Samuels and the Kings and, the, and all those and couldn't find it for several minutes. So I wrote down the page number. <laughs> Y'all didn't know it was coming, though, so you didn't write down the page number. What to do on your worst day? We need to have a plan. We need to have an escape route. You need to know, let me just get off a little bit and say, you need to know how to fight. You need to know how to argue and debate and, to, uh, and with your spouse. There ought to be rules. There ought to be parameters. There ought to be boundaries that, that you have that you can disagree and you can use your influence to move them because uh, you're partnered with them to move them to your side or at least move somewhere in the middle. But some people, some couples don't have rules. So they'll say naughty words. Because I really do want you to see it my way. And so you pull out that sword and you whop their head with the naughty word. Uh, the worst naughty word you can think of is the word divorce. You, put, you whoop that word out in an argument and you have stepped aside out of covenant. 
You, 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 have, you have put everything on the table and you're not going to get anything back. There's, there ought to be rules of engagement. No yelling. That was one of my big rules. No hollering. Oh, that was impossible. That didn't happen, but I always put my request in. <laughs> but we were noisy. Y'all ever seen a noisy family talk? One time, the only time I remember my, my parents fussing is one time my dad said, leave the room. And mother said right there, she said, don't you leave. And dad said, get out of here right now. Because they were having a knockdown. I'm not a knockdown, a fuss. That's the only time I ever remember my, fam my parents fussing. And she said, you're not going anywhere. I don't even remember. I blanked it out of my mind how it happened, what happened after that. But you've got to have rules of engagement. You've got to have rules of engagement for those people that are in the church it, because it says to uh, uh, how to treat an elder. You can't just treat them like your, your cousin Vinny or somebody. There's, there's rules of engagement in the Bible that you can't just take it out on somebody. There's consequences. The Bible says to honor your father and mother. There's rules about how you engage to get your way. God says, I'll take care of you if you'll stay in the, in the slot. You, you can't tell your mother you wish this, that, and you tell your dad you're a sorry this, that. It, it might be true in your estimation and experience, but we don't do that. We live above, and the devil can't get to us when we live above. So you, you need to sit down and have rules of engagement. We don't ever say divorce. We don't ever say divorce. Never. Not until you've been to the lawyer and filed something and you're informing me. But then, even then, you're supposed to have already been to the pastor. Okay. I can tell that the grace on that one left. Hallelujah. <laughs> Chapter 30. Let's look in verse 1. It came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag. After I told you all this two weeks ago, I get up in the mornings and thank the Lord Jesus. I'm not from Ziklag. Hallelujah. On the third day, the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire. It was a bad day at Ziklag. And he had taken the women captive they were, that were therein. They slew not any, neither great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. You know, th this was the society they lived in at that time. This is how they dealt with people, uh, this, the spoils of war. So David and his men come into the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. This is a bad day. We talked about this two weeks ago. And in verse 6, uh, it says, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him. So everybody was having a bad day. Everybody was in a bad mood. I mean, this was David. He didn't take their wives captive. He, he didn't burn the city, but they blamed him. And you'll see that in our culture right now. People really want somebody, need someone to blame for it not being perfect. Instead of looking at themselves and says, the word says to pray, the word says to give, the word says to sow and reap, the word says, the word says, the word said, I'm not doing any of that. And yet I got to find somebody to blame for how come my life is like it is. And the Bible describes those people exactly. 
It describes you if you're not. Anytime we don't walk in line with the word, it's describing you and I when trouble comes. Because we can live above. Let me just tell you, we can live above. Trouble comes, but we can live above it all. Why, why do we lose our jobs? Or why do our, 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 our kinfolks die early? Or why, why, why this, that, and the other? It's always sin. It's always missing the mark. There is a remedy for everything for you and I to have a great life in this. But your parents have to raise you from the beginning that this is the way to live. You've got to have a start. My folks didn't know anything. Did your folks know anything? Don't answer, but they didn't know anything. So I was way down the road and had lots of things in me that weren't right. Mindsets, attitudes, perspectives, dreams, and goals that were carnal and, and uh, not Godward. So I had to start over. In other words, we had to have a giant garage sale and sell everything out and then go to the store and buy new. Not literally. I'm talking about in my life. I had to refurnish my life. When I, when I started out in the ministry, I was a farmer. I didn't shave every day, didn't shave every other day, didn't shave on the fourth day if I didn't want to. I wore a baseball cap and my hair was blowed out. I was a working machine. I was there before the sun came up. I was there after the sun went down and then I changed water at midnight. So I didn't care what I looked like, but then I went into the ministry, got the Holy Ghost, and I was a pastor. Well, I didn't know what pastoring meant. Well, I remember calling a pastor one time and it's funny now. I called him and said, can I come down there on Wednesday and, and, and go with you as you pastor? And like a squad car that's going to make it round, you know. And, you know, like crazy. But I wore, so I went, I changed me. I had to change me. I was used to like I was, jeans. Now I was neat and clean. And if I had to go to the bank, I shaved. Because you got you got a banker. But, uh. I started wearing a coat and tie every day to work in little Seminole, Texas, 7,000 people of farmers and oil people. Was I trying to impress them? No, I was trying to change me. It was all for me, I didn't see anybody. I went to the post office once a day and in, check your mail and out, get the car and go back to the office. But I saw me every day and I had to speed up the process of seeing myself not as a farmer but as a minister, because I had a new place to fill. I had a new gift and had a new calling on my life. So back to this story here, these folks were mad. They were distressed. They didn't have a framework for handling their wives and children being hauled off. And who knows what happened to them? They assumed the worst. And they started stoning. They said, we're going to stone you. Somebody's got to take this the hit for this. Somebody's got to go down. And we were following you and then you didn't take care of our, our girls and our kids. It was bad. It was a bad day. David said, this is my worst day. So you've got to have a starting point to recover. When you've had a worst day, you've got to have a starting point. You've got to have a, you got to pull yourself in. If you and your wife or husband have had a fuss and you know, the, the, the smoke is heavy and there's wounds everywhere, verbal wounds or or threats, or, or just things that people have. Maybe it's not even your spouse. Maybe it's your boss. He came in and jumped on you, and you were not in the mood for it, and you gave it as good as you got. Am I describing anybody in the world? Hallelujah. Am I the only one that's been through life, or y'all just been sitting in the nursery all your life? Hallelujah. So, um, 
uh, David had to consider these people because they were his men and they were hurting as bad as him. And so he had a right to hurt like him. He had two wives. Wow, you could tell. That they, never mind. We won't go there. Hallelujah. Uh, he, had to, he had to start a process. And you and I, as the believer, as the mature one, as the adult, the spiritual adult in the room, we have to take hold. We can't wait for somebody else to apologize to us or to make it right or come back and say, I'll never do it again. And, you know, you listen to them. I literally had someone, a family member, that told another family member uh, who had jilted him, had said things to him that shouldn't be said. And so this family member apologized. He said, I, I shouldn't have said that, and I'm sorry. Well, this first family member said, that ain't good enough. Now, the one that apologized wasn't a Christian, or barely. The other one was a strong Christian, or professed to be for years. He said, I don't accept your apology. It doesn't have enough contrition in it. Doesn't have enough emotion in it. Doesn't have enough, you know, you're just, you're just trying to start judging the apology. You're just saying that, nah, 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 nah. Have you ever heard anybody say that to you? Where they discounted your repentance, your apology? Which maybe it was true. Maybe that was true and it wasn't genuine. But we can't judge that. We'll see if it was true. Well, this is terrible. So David had to be the adult in the room, and he had to, he had to rise up with a plan. And uh, it says in, uh, uh, where does it say? Uh, he said in verse 7, bring me the ephod. And uh, so he was turning to, de to God. He was turning to God. And in verse 8 it says, David inquired at the Lord. This is where we go. We go to God. You can't deal with people rationally. When they've lost their mind, when they're on it, when they're, when they're giving you your worst day because they've already had their worst day or think they're having it, you got to step back and just say, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. That's why we pray before we get up or before we enter our day. We pray before because then it diffuses, gives you wisdom to know what to do and how to do it. But he went to the Lord. Number one, we said we got to empty out our soul. It says in verse... Uh, uh, excuse me. Uh, verse six, David was greatly distressed because they talked of stoning him. But verse six says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. So you got to get encouraged in the Lord. Not more fussing, not more arguing, not more debating. If you're anything like me, you can't win a debate. I can't remember what they said or what I said. And I think they just make it up as they go. You said this. I don't remember that. Yeah, you did. I couldn't remember. So I took the hit. Probably did say it. Amen. <laughs> the first step to getting out is you got to get to the place. Listen, listen to no guilt and no shame. You got to get yourself out of it. You either got to say, I'm guilty. I did it on my worst day. I caused this. I stepped into it. I'm the reason or part of the reason or some of the reason. You got to get it where you own what you did wrong. You got to have no guilt and no shame. Now, if you're faultless and that could happen, then you don't admit anything. But you make it a way for them to save face so that they can be reconciled. Because it didn't matter if you're right. 
if you're not reconciled, it didn't happen. Who has ever been so free and peaceful that won the argument, but nobody thought you won the argument? You're the only one that knew or thought you won the argument. Did I say that wrong? In other words, even if you're right, if everybody else thinks you're wrong and they won't and you won't bend, you won't bow, you won't come clean about something, then it's still a bad situation and it's going to happen again. When you empty out your soul, listen to me, you get to the end of I am what happened. Let me say it again. When you empty out your soul, you get to the end of I am what just happened. They called you a dirty dog. Well, I'm not a dirty dog. They say you never did this and you never do that and you're always this. And you're not. Don't y'all just love those, those every words. You never do anything. You're always doing this. You never do that. Those inclusive words that says, you know, this. Have you ever been there? Y'all are acting. Y'all are living better than I am. I can tell. Praise God. And so. Uh, you got to find out why it was your worst day. Now, that's what I want to say. That's all that to say this. You got to find out why this was your worst day, because the Holy Ghost and the word of God was leading you around this. And we and we just was having none of it. We knew we were right. We knew we had a point. We knew that they they're everything and never and all things that they described us wasn't true. And so we were going to stand our ground. How's that worked out for you? It says in John chapter 20. Let me, let me go there. Ah, I'm not doing too good this morning, time-wise. Oh, I tell you what, we'll just use tonight's service. We'll just piggyback that on now. I, I solved it. John 20. Now, look at this verse. I'm trying to, to bring us to a place of quick recovery. When you have your worst day, we need to not have a six-week, six-month, six-year recovery time. Come on, y'all. Say amen or something. Y'all are just living nicer than I am. I can tell. Uh, verse 23 of chapter 20, the Lord Jesus says, Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. Now, this could be a very controversial statement. To say, well, only the Lord can remit sins. Hmm. Guess what? This is in red. Whosoever sins ye, that would be me, remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Let me read it in the Amplified. It says, if you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of anyone... They are retained. So if you retain those sins in your, in your life, it didn't end. The thing's still burning. The thing's still going on. You haven't recovered. The uh, Bible Basic English, the BBE version. Anyone to whom you give forgiveness will be made free from their sins. Don't you want to help somebody get free from their sins? And... And any from whom you keep back forgiveness will still be in their sins. Now you go, okay, that's nice. What's that got to do with this? Because the anyone here includes me. 
I have to forgive me. I have to remit me. And if I don't remit me, if I don't get to the bottom of it, if I don't come clean, if I don't get the sin out or get the fault out or give the emotion out that I got into, then I keep it. I retain it. And it's still in there. Unforgiveness is in there. Even if it's for me, it's in there. And I'm emasculated. I'm, I'm impotent. I can't, I can't do anything. I'm powerless until time which heals all wounds kicks in, which is never. And so I've got to take action. David, the Bible said, because they didn't stone him, sought the Lord and encouraged himself in the Lord. Now, it doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. The Lord's on your side. Not to enforce your wrong, but to help you get out of it. Come on. We need help. First uh, John 1, 9. Y'all remember First John 1, 9? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Amplified. This will take a minute. If we freely admit that we have sinned and confessed our sins, he is faithful and just and true to his own nature and promises and will forgive our sins. What are sins? Dismiss our lawlessness. The law is for the lawful, lawless, excuse me. The law is for the lawless. If everybody in America was born again and walked in that new birth, we wouldn't have any trouble. But we got people breaking laws because they're lawless. And they, need, they have to have a law to control them, but sometimes they won't be controlled by the law. And so we have to prosecute them or we have to threaten them or whatever. Well, we're the same way in the church. Everybody likes to live next to the line. That everybody wants, you ever heard anybody say, well, how good do I have to be to not go to hell? Where is the line? I'm going to step over it. Can I still go out and party on Friday night and, and go to heaven? That's, that's what they're asking. Can I smoke this and still go to heaven? So everybody likes to live next to the line, don't they? Don't want to give any extra because it's a, it's a suffering thing. We'll forgive our sins and continuously cleanse us from all unrighteousness here it is. Everything not in conformity to his will in purpose, thought, and action. So God wants us to be clean. Wants us to be clean. Wants us to say, I messed up. Wasn't my fault. I was a little uh, a white-tailed rabbit there, not bothering nobody. I didn't, didn't, wasn't thinking anything but pure thoughts. Y'all ever had that come across your head? You know, they're attacking me. They're judging me. I was just sitting there minding my own business. Everybody knows that's not true. Everybody knows you rolled your eyes. Everybody knows you smirked. Ha! I've done it a hundred times. Well, three times. We'll say that. Here's the key. I'm telling you how to, re how to deal with your first day. You have to have godly sorrow. Without godly sorrow, you will not recover. The word says here, oh, I, I, I dropped it, that David, if you go into that story, it says later that David recovered all. Y'all remember that? In that same chapter, David recovered all. Well, he had a process. He recovered all. Most Christians don't recover all. Some are just devastated because of something that happened in their past that they never got through. You, are you going through anything right now? Oh, yeah. I got temptations and barbs and, 
and uh, lies and judgments against me. You just cannot. And then plus, over the years, I've had to take this mess, not just from my family and friends, but from church members that come in and say ugly things and, or, or just disappear. I remember one couple disappeared. I didn't know they disappeared. So I saw them in Publix. And I went up and hugged them and, how y'all doing? And don't forget, we're going to be meeting next week over here. You know, I know you wasn't there last week or the week before or the week before. Uh, maybe not the week before that. I was naive. I didn't know. I didn't know they'd left. Nobody told me. So you deal with all that. Now here's where I'm going. Until it's all worked out and you have godly sorrow, there is no recovery. Until you have godly sorrow for your part, my part, in the worst day, there is no recovery. There has to be sorrow in our sin. You cannot just flip out a thing that said, sorry, won't do that again. I didn't do it. There's got to be sorrow in ourselves for our sin. We have to grieve in ourselves. It says, I have sinned against God, against my wife, against my children, against uh, my calling, against whatever. Whatever you have sinned against, you have to bring yourself to contrition. It says, I have sinned, and I sorrow for that sin, not that I got caught. Nobody knows about it. Actually, nobody knows about it. So it's like, I can let this go. Nope. I have godly sorrow for my part in this worst day. Because you were responsible for having days of heaven on earth. I am responsible for living above. And if I didn't live above, if I'm in the middle of that, part of it's my fault. I'm not living under the shadow of the wing of the Almighty. I did not say of the Lord, He is my God, my refuge, and Him will I trust. Something got left out and like, what, what, God, I didn't do nothing. Yeah, that's it. And it cost everything. Number two, we got to end it by faith. Once you've experienced godly sorrow, you've admitted your part, forgiven them for that part. You got to end it by faith and you got to turn to the word of God for the way out. There's wisdom in the word and you got to turn to the word to get your way out. Now, the Lord, this is the best part of this whole message, I think. The Lord gave me three words in the spring, and I did not really get them, but I, I get why. But uh, here in this uh, chapter 30, it says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. We got to walk by faith because there's going to be another day just like you just had. And you can do better in it. That wasn't your last day to be in your worst day tempted. He gave me three words. The first word that he gave me was stalwart. Say it with me. Stalwart. Now, you may not know what that means. I wasn't sure, so I looked it up. And the word stalwart, this is River Church. This is Christians. This is us. Stalwart means to be strongly built and sturdy. Strongly built and sturdy. Strong, you know, when you go to the furniture store, you want to know, is that that stuff that comes apart when you Get, get it wet or is it real wood? Stalwart. Strongly built and sturdy. The second word he gave me was resilient. Resilient. Now, when you think of resilient, uh, you think of something that you can bend it, but it'll come back to its regular shape. The word literally means able to withstand and recover quickly from different conditions. So it's got some bounce back. 
resilient. We're not wiped out because we went through a storm. We're not wiped out when somebody said, nah, nah, nee, nunu. The third word he gave me, which is the most difficult to me to understand, was the word fierce. It's a negative word if you look it up in the dictionary. It's a negative word. But I found the, a, a translation or a, a definition that was not. It means, to, it means living by heartfelt, powerful, and deliberate passion or intensity. Now, I'm, I'm a passionate person. Once I see it, I'm all in. I'm all in. So it gets me in lots of trouble with people because they, they don't want you to be all in. They want you to go slow and ease it up and accommodate and, and be flexible. I'm, I'm pretty much fierce. Don't have much patience with people that don't want to do right. Hence, they don't like to be around me because I want everybody to do right. I want to do right. It's not judgment if you want to do right. I don't always do right, but you don't know how many times I've had to get in my closet and repent and have godly sorrow for not doing right, for being a hypocrite, for, for asking of things that I was not able to bring. But the word fierce means to live by heartfelt, powerful, and deliberate passion and intensity. I think it's a word that God wants in all of us. I think if you want to live above, I think if you want to get away from your worst day, you're going to have to put on some stalwart. You don't flinch. Like, nope, that's what I'm doing, or that's not what I'm doing, and we're not doing it. Well, come on, let's do it. Nope, not going to do it. Well, let's, let's do this. Nope, not going to do that either. I'm stalwart. Just not going to do it. God may say, I would have let you go. That had been okay. But, but for us, we couldn't violate it. The second word, resilient. Any condition to bounce back, to recover from any condition. Say everything. everything. The wiles of the devil. Everything. And then the last word, fierce. Now, I want to tell you, the devil has come to steal, kill, which is murder, and destroy, which means to undo. He wants to undo you. Kill, steal, and destroy. In the days we're coming into, you better be through grieving over your sin, or you're going to be a casualty, or you're going to be... Uh, You've got to stop him. You've got to stop the devil. He's playing for keeps. Who's he playing for keeps? Ah, he's just messing with the crowd that's God's in control. Everything happens for a reason. He just, he's just like, he laughs at that. I pretty much laugh at that. It's not true. It's an abomination. It's false doctrine. It's a lie against who you are, what the Lord Jesus did for us, and the calling on us. Everything doesn't happen for a reason, except it does happen for the devil trying to snare you, to snag you, to drag you under. Things do not happen for a reason in God's mind. I want to call him out if it does. If that's truth, I want to call him out and say, what is up with what's going on compared to what you said? They don't line up. And God's in control. Give me strength. 
Give me strength. God's in control. Whatever you bind on earth, you say to the mountain, be removed. You pray steadfast. You pray for your leaders. What is that all about if God's in control? I do digress. So, I put this on verse 7 and 8. It says that uh, where David said he inquired of the Lord, that one of the things you do on your worst day is you go to strength. The Bible says that is there any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. Why do that? Well, they're not sick. And they know how to pray the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and if he's committed in sins, he will raise him up. Call somebody that's not going through trouble, someone that's got all their faculties. They're not hurting. They're not, they're not under a pressure to go kill somebody. Where is my gun? I want to go take care of this. You go, nobody thinks that way. Yes, we do. We've all murdered somebody in our mind. Oh, look how holy y'all are out there. Not me, they said. So you've got to draw them in to get strength. You've got to have somebody in your life. Listen, listen, this will save you. Two is better than one. You've got to have somebody in your life that won't judge you and say, dear Lord, you did do that. You're terrible. You get, it was terrible, but you've got to have somebody that says, listen, here's the way out. I'm, I'm not sick. You are. Let me pray the prayer of faith. I can pray it because I'm not sick. Here, let me speak to your money with you because my money's fine. You got to have somebody like that in your life. You ought to have a pastor. I'm, I'm telling this to the camera. You ought to have a pastor that just loves you. Not a babysitter, not someone that's going to be there every time that you, you hiccup, but someone that will equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's what I do. Yay. Uh, you got to expect a lot of condemnation. People are, the devil says, hey, over there, go get them. Okay. And they do, full time. You got to be ready for unkind and foolish words from people. You go, well, except for Christians. <laughs> what, who was it, David, that said, uh, uh, I knew who my enemies were, but it was my friends that took advantage of me. So you, you just got to treat everybody the same, expect stuff to come. Uh, you got, you're going to have to expect to make hard decisions. Now, let me tell you, we're in the day of making hard decisions right now. We are right now. The Lord is having us seal up our convictions. I will go here. I will not go here. I will do this, but I will not do that. Well, how come he didn't mention it last year? We weren't ready. Right. We, we laughed. We said, ha. I, that'll never happen. Well, now he's saying it needs to happen because it's a protection. It's a boundary. It's a fence around you. If you have convictions that says, I'm not crossing that line. I used to drink, but I'm not touching it. I used to smoke, but I, I don't even want to be in the room with those people. You understand what I'm saying? And of course, you have your own deal there. Uh, I told you two weeks ago that uh, you need to have four crazy friends. That's what Mark Hankin says. Four crazy friends that'll let you down. We need to have the family in. We don't just eat together and have fellowships and go out together because it's a food thing. Something supernatural does happen when you eat together. But we bond in good times so that the rope or the, the chain or the link is there for bad times. You ever seen those movies where somebody goes over the cliff 
and somebody reaches down right before they go a thousand feet and you've got them and they pull them up, we need someone that'll reach for us. Then the last thing I have, and I'm going to just say this so I can finish. You got to expect that God wants you to recover all. I said, I have to expect. Well, I've just been so bad so long. I don't know if the Lord can use me. That's trash talking. That's junk mess. That's no good. You got to expect that the Lord says, I got better for you than this. Now, if you'll pay attention, I'll take you to it. I said, yes, Lord, I'll pay attention. You're not holding yesterday against me. Not at all. Because you already cleaned that out. That's, that's old news. Now let's start from where you are and let's go. Um, I love this. In Psalm 77, 19 in the Living Bible. You like that one, don't you? Your road led by a pathway through the sea, a pathway nobody knew was there. I like that scripture. Ah, there's a pathway. The Lord's just going to uncover the sea so you'd find it. But there is a way out. There's always a way out. There's always a way to win. You've never been in a spot that God said, woo, that, that's going to be a tough one. He's got a thousand ways out of everything. It's whichever one you say, this is the one I want. To, I want. That's the one he'll take. Yeah. This is good preaching. I like it. Amen. Don't settle. Resilient. Fierce. What was that other word? Stalwart. I'm not surrendering anything. I surrendered a bunch of my life over the last several, many. I'm not surrendering anything to anybody. Not for anybody. Well, if you'll go with me, we'll be friends. I can't go with you. Well, if you do this under the table, you know, it's going to be real good for us. Can't go with you. I just have got some convictions now. How about you? Amen. I like Ephesians 4.13. In the Amplified, it says, I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses strength, inner strength into me. That is, I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. Pastor Buzzy used to say, I can master anything and everything through the master who lives in me. Okay, what to do on your worst day? Got to get it to second nature. Maybe you're not having any worse days. Woo-hoo, we want to go live with you. <laughs> we, we, we want to pull up under your table. But until then, we're going to be fighting the devil. I watched a movie one time, and uh, a bunch of POWs had been captured by the Germans in World War II. And uh, the captain got out in 16 days. And uh, they, they whooped him up and beat him, trying to get everything. But another guy went in there for interrogation, and he was out the next day. And the captain said, what'd you tell him? Well, I didn't tell him anything. No, you, can't, you came out the next day. You told all. I don't want to be a patsy. I want to be the one they say, they never got me. I never cooperated with the devil. I never went his way. I stayed with God because God's always got a way where there seems to be no way. Praise God, we always win. He always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. Always. Well, he hadn't seen one like my deal. Ah, yeah, he saw that one yesterday in spades. He, they're everywhere doing what you did yesterday. Do you know 1.9 people die every second? Every second, two people go out into eternity, and most of them do not go where they should go. 
So you think, you, you know, you think you're the only one of anything? Two people are dying every second. That means every minute there's about 110 or 15 that are dying. There's a lot of people being born, but not that many. We've got to get ourselves where it's me and Jesus, and we're tight. Amen. So I bless you right now. I bless you in the name of Jesus broadcast. And I say be hungry for God. Be a craver of the things of God. Truth that sets you free. Truth that you know sets you free. Truth that will never let you down. That will never let you go. That will always pull you back. may seem like a long rope for a few days, but it will always be there for you. In the name of Jesus, I loose a fierceness into this broadcast arena. A desire to be stalwart and to be inflexible, to always bounce back. In Jesus' name, be that man, be that woman. And just see what God will do for you, to you, and through you. Don't flinch. Don't flitter in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, Barry.